Kia ora and welcome to the Take Your Meds podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Rose. I'm a trauma recovery coach and founder of No New Things and Ritual, my online programs that transform your inner world. Season two of the podcast is all about the new paradigm of leadership. I've called in some pretty extraordinary millennials to chat this through esoteric, philosophical, spiritual, indigenous, and creative lenses to shift your mindset. Let's go. Kia ora and welcome back to the Take Your Meds podcast. I'm so excited to have Aaron in the studio with me today. We're going to be talking all things leadership and trusting the flow of where things go as we begin to unpack and explore this topic. Uh, I met Aaron a couple of years ago now in my work with Seed Waikato and um, Aaron is unlike anyone I've really met. He's got a powerful gift of uh, speaking in a way that helps us make sense of the human experience and calls us forward into um, what God really has for us. And I love that. So uh, Aaron is one of the kaitiaki that lead Tadotani Church, an incredible place where, yeah, how would I describe being at church? It's like so homely and so welcoming, so inviting, but so real and so authentic. So shout out to Dotani. If you're in Kirikiriro or Hamilton, definitely go check it out. Um, but yeah, kia ora and welcome, Aaron. It's so cool to have you here. What's alive for you? Kia ora. Uh, tēnā koe te tuhine. Um, and hiana kia koe. Um, yeah. Uh, what's alive for me right now? Well, before we kind of press record, we both talked about our mutual fatigue and parenthood. From... <laughs> <laughs> so maybe the better question is what's dead for me right now? <laughs> so... <laughs> uh, yeah, fair call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, what's alive? I mean, I think so many things. I feel... I feel like the season that we're in is, I mean, it's just, it's chaotic, isn't it? Mm-hmm. If you if you even spend five minutes looking at media, looking on social media, which the more I, more and more, I just think, man, Facebook is one of the biggest deaths to my soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Real talk. The more I look around the world, I just think, man, we're in crisis and probably particularly in the West and in our, um, absence of any kind of historical context and knowledge of self, uh, mm. we don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And so the best thing that we know how to do is turn to quick fixes and accusation. That's kind of like the fun of the West. Like, ah, oh, it's hard. It's your fault. Mm. And, and I'm going to dive into this thing that's going to be really unhelpful for myself. So it was the stuff that's kind of making me live at the moment is just the thoughts around what is it? What does it mean to be sustainable in mm. in every way in terms of how do I grow in my emotional health as a as a dad, a husband, as as a leader? Mm-hmm. Um and I, you know, like we we kind of talked before, but about having a kind of a vision of who who we want to become that's a whole lot larger than than what we want to do. I love that. Because I think our ambition our ambition is sometimes also our narcissism. Um, 
and without that kind of vision of who we want to become we're kind of like a scandal waiting to happen mm. <laughs> depending on like how, how how big or how not big you become right you know mm -hmm. like but it's all a scandal it's just regardless of how many people find out you know <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I, I see it all the time from in faith, out of faith, mm -hmm. in, in all sorts of different places, um, mm -hmm. whereby the vision is so large of, and some of it's really, the vision's awesome as well, but if there's not like that matching desire of like, I also want to grow in, in my character because mm. we've kind of bought this thing that like, you need to accept me as I am. And if you don't like that, you can get out of my life. And I just, I find that a real bizarre framework for mm -hmm. any, uh, there is nothing healthy about that. Mm -hmm. That's like a trauma response to mm -hmm. facing rejection and feeling pain of like, mm -hmm. oh, it's better if you just get out. And instead of like seeing some of those things as opportunities for like, you know, oh, maybe I am, maybe I don't, aren't, or maybe I'm not listening properly. Maybe mm -hmm. I am talking too much. Maybe mm -hmm. I am creating anxiety in the workplace that I'm in or whatever, you know, just yeah. the different elements that could be truth to us become things that we push away. So I'm, re I'm real passionate about that kind of world at the moment. I love how we, it. How do we become emotionally healthy and do it for the long term? I love it. There's so much in there, Aaron. And I feel particularly drawn to want to explore a little bit more that, that two part that you're speaking into around that that call of leadership that I believe we all have on our lives. Right. And that, that takes many forms, many shapes. But as you step into a vision or a calling, that that is one part. The other part being who is it that we're going to become in order for that vision to be realised and how are we going to show up on the journey when it gets difficult. So I would love to hear what your views are on those two parts and then we can just see where things go. How does that feel for you? Yeah, so good. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think, I I mean, my faith tells me that people are called. So they are, they are chosen, they are valued, they are blessed, and then they are given the opportunity to be broken. <laughs> So that they're not so arrogant as to not be a good gift to the world as they were designed to be. Ooh. And like our brokenness is such a primary part of, of our story. You know, you think about how many times you, you, you know, you talk to counselors or whatever, and so many counselors are themselves victims of relational dysfunction or abuse or whatever it might be. Like their brokenness has become an intricate part of their story mm -hmm. in such a way that they can't tell their story without that brokenness. Mm -hmm. But their brokenness has also leveled them to um, accept the limitations of their humanity, Boom. which we which we don't want to do because mm -hmm. we we think we should be able to do everything, have, have everything and be everything that we want. And we just end up in so much mess because we're dying in our expectations all the time. We reject mm. limitations, even though limitations create safety for us. Like we want to change the world and do all of these things, but without limitations, we just destroy our world and mm -hmm. we destroy the key relationships that are in it. So our, our calling is like, is awesome. As long as we realize that our brokenness is like quite a central part of that calling. Mm. Um, it's not this um, 
I, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like the, the people that we celebrate and the way that we often model leadership is relatively invulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite triumphalistic. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit blame gamey as well in terms mm-hmm. of if you're not on board, then you're no one. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so what we end up with is a whole lot of people with a whole lot of causes who are really alone mm-hmm. and, and can't quite figure out why they're alone over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. I've, we connect with someone, we get in really close, two years later, it's over, you mm-hmm. know? And um, so, yeah, there is that definite thing around calling. And what was the second part that you brought up again? The second part being about who you be and then how you respond to the call, right. how you respond to the vision yeah, or right. the vision. So, again, this is my perspective. So, but my belief is that I, um, I'm i not enough to know fully who I am, if that makes sense. Yes, go there. I, I need a community of people. I need um, a fucker papa. And I need, in my belief, I need a God or my designer to give me a frame of reference Mm. as to what flourishing actually looks like for me. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example is that there's a whole lot of things that I just want to do. Like I just want, I would love to just eat crap food every day and, (laughs) and not work out. And (laughs) which to be fair, I often still do that. (laughs) (laughs) But there's something about um, the fact that we have married that our wants and desires are the same thing as being fully alive and human flourishing mm-hmm. and, and, and almost even to the point where they've become part of our identity. This is what I want. Therefore, this is who I am. Mm. Whereas I totally disagree with that. And I, I think sometimes our wants are the biggest enemy of any kind of human flourishing, e.g., Uh, I've got a whole lot of really core friendships and relationships. And in order for them to be friendships and relationships, it means that we've fought, we've disagreed, we've apologized, we've sought forgiveness, we've whatever. We've done these things when actually my wants and desires in those situations was to be like, screw you, I don't need you. Like, Mm. I I don't actually want you. Um, now my deeper, more subconscious desire is like, I don't want to lose a friendship. This Mm -hmm. is really important to me. Let's work hard. Mm -hmm. But my surface level of desire, which if I'm not careful with it, becomes part of my identity Mm -hmm. is is kind of like, I don't need that. And so I see it all the time, like on social media, like get rid of the toxic people in your life. And I'm just like... (laughs) Right. I mean, sure, as long as you are actually a good judge of what's toxicity. Yeah, and that <laughs> you've looked at the ways in which you are contributing to the 100%. toxicity in the dynamic. A hundred percent. Like, and and this is the thing is that the, the mirror to the human soul, um, and maybe I would say, you know, I have mixed feelings about this, but, you know, lots of people talk about cancel culture, that walking mm. on the fine line of, what's the opinion that all of society values and how do I marry in with that so that I don't end up getting bounced? Um, but within that cancel culture oh. kind of reality, I, you know, I, there's part of it that's, I don't know, I feel levels of despair 
that there's so little looking in the mirror, so little using, um, having deep relationships and allowing people to correct us and confront mm -hmm. us, um, that the only thing that we can turn to is kind of destroying other people. Mm. So we, we, we've got this imaginary value system. Now, I'm a, I'm, I'm a church leader, so there's assumptions about um, viewpoints and all sorts of things that come with that. You know, like we had like the left and the right, and I kind of don't believe in either of those spaces. I kind of believe that the extremes of either are really broken. Mm -hmm. um, like e.g., Portland is one of the most liberal cities in America, um, highly tolerant and highly intolerant. That's the best way I would describe it. But they're also one of the most intergenerational and um, and whitest like places in America as well. So amidst all of the Black Lives Matter and all of this kind of rhetoric that's coming through, they have the least amount of ethnic diversity, the mm. narrowest age gap and generation of like, it's like 18 to 35 is their general age bracket of growth. Mm. And and no intergenerational living. So families and traditions and heritages aren't in that because a lot of real extreme liberalism just goes here and now. Mm. And then you've got like the sort of ultra right wing, which doesn't want to pay any attention to here and now and has sort of all sorts of ideals about an imaginary utopia that we somewhere <laughs> used to have. You know, mm. well, back in my day, it was <laughs> this and that. And, you know, you're just like, cool, well, Back in your day, lots of people would have said that that was one of the most racist periods of time in history. Mm -hmm. You know, so we have these ideals and these ideologies which become our gods, I would say. Yes. And when, and when ideologies become gods, they become, uh, we become fanatics, right? And so cancel culture is the birth child of fanaticism, of ideologies. Mm. It's the thing of going like, this is the way. Mm. ironically the truth in the life and anyone that disagrees with that <laughs> shall burn <laughs> wow i've never thought about it like that <laughs> makes sense and regardless of whether and again like we talk we, chronological snobbery is the kind of belief that everything that's happened before us is kind of a little bit irrelevant mm. that we know more about relationships we know more about life we know more about more than ever before than any generation before us and i <laughs> i mean so i egotistical it's totally right but the, this is um this is we're the google generation so mm. we just have lots of little bits of information but not a lot of a deep knowledge about much mm, and so that context yeah right and so that kind of ma masquerades as matauranga as knowledge <laughs> mm -hmm. you know so and I, you know, I, I think I see that even like we're asking 25 year old all black players to give their thoughts on deep societal issues mm -hmm. and really deeply valuing that thought that they come across as. And it's like, we want to value the person and the thought, but we are asking fame to be the basis for our expertise and our Whoa. information, right? So it's kind Whoa. of, yeah. we're looking at these people to be something that that probably we should, again, the evidence of chronological snobbery is that where are the 70 and the 80 year olds talking about relational health and that we just, just don't really mm. care. <laughs> mm, wow. There is so much in there. There's so much in there. Wow. What a beautiful reflection. And yeah, I can't say I've 
pieced it to, together that way. So it's definitely given me food for thought. It's like we're so thirsty and hungry for elements of religion, but yeah, won't right. come back to religion because of the harm that it has caused. Totally. Yeah. yeah. How do we, what's the antidote? What, what do you see is a way forward for us to be able to meet our fragility? Right. Yeah. No, that's a great question. Uh, like, look, my belief is, is this, that I've heard socio sociologists talk about the fact that we were a post-Christian society, but now we're actually an anti Oh, sorry, a post-church society, but now we're actually in a um, an anti-church society in which most of society views the work of church and religion as primarily damaging and a distraction to any kind of human flourishing than anything else. So that's the elephant in the room, right? So when we're mm -hmm. talking about faith, we're, we're talking under the assumption that for most people, it's like, oh, if you want to do that, that's good, but I actually view it as quite detrimental to mm -hmm. the world that we're in. Mm -hmm. So that's like, that's an important thing to name. Mm -hmm. um, the other important thing to name is that I'll just speak for the religion that I um, belong to and that in Christianity, there's been a real absence of honest storytelling about um, our role in uh, colonization um, mm -hmm. and in, white supremacist policies and, mm -hmm. and all of these types of things. Um, and I think the absence of some of that honest storytelling, um, if other people start telling another group of people about their history, we're in, already in a quite a problematic place. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the thing that I want to bring up though, is that where, um, where Christianity causes um, diminishing, that's not actually Christianity, that's Christendom. So that's where Christianity has become an empire. So it's got empirical tendencies, which is like expand, conquer, conquest. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, that's not the vision of, of life that Ihukuraiti or Jesus was kind of exposing. In fact, he came, and one of the reasons why he was crucified was because he was like essentially saying, I'm the one that you've been waiting for. And the one that they thought that I'd been waiting for was like a military commander conqueror who was going to come and become another empire to rule and reign. And mm. he was like, yeah, I am going to rule and reign, but it's not going to be in that way. It's not going to be through, through war and it's not going to be through violence. It's going to be through practices of gratitude and hospitality and, um, and generosity. It's going to be through practices of prayer and solitude and fidelity to um, ancient texts. It's going to be um, practices of authentic relationship and committed community. And, mm. you know, like that was the kingdom that he mm. was like going, this is, this is that. And so one of the things that I think the antidote, if I would say is this, is that what faith should offer is uh, a whole lot of series of practices that actually form your life in such a way that it's like the Sunday is like, uh, or the service becomes like the oranges at the half time. It's just it's mm. the place, it's part of the ritual and the rhythm, right? Mm. And, and everyone has ritual and rhythm. Some people's ritual and rhythm is to go to the pub on a Friday night with friends or whatever. 
like there's just all sorts of different rituals and rhythms. The Sunday ritual and rhythm is the statement of our life is not about ourselves. It's bigger than ourselves, but mm -hmm. it includes ourselves in the context of community. Mm. And so my belief around how do we see, see people be warmed up to religion again? Well, I think one of the things is actually humanity has to get to the point where we accept our limits, where we accept even things like sin. We don't mm. want to talk about sin because we're like, <laughs> no, you, you do you. Like if you, whatever you want to do, you do you until, mm. until that person crosses that imaginary ideological line that we've sort of agreed and sort of haven't agreed to in mm -hmm. our individual self because we're hyper radically individualistic and faith is the opposite end of that. Mm. One of the, one of the big things about it is that faith doesn't fit nicely into, um, well, the faith that I subscribe to actually radically challenges the society that we live in. It's not like an easy fit. And I think we're always looking for an easy fit. Like mm -hmm. I find the right gym and I'm going to turn up the right classes and then I'm going to get there. Whereas this is like, we want you to reorientate your entire life around mm. these principles around um, so that it's not just some kind of addition, but actually the stuff that's going to help you become less offended, you know, the mm -hmm. relational accountability that's going to help you see yourself and see others, but also help you feel like you can love yourself when you've mm -hmm. done crap because right. for all of the self-love stuff that we talk about, I think we deal with more self-hatred than ever before. So explain I that agree. to me, right? Yeah, <laughs> like I totally agree. <laughs> Those relationships are containers for our growth and what it is that we're judging and criticizing and shaming and blaming in others sometimes is a reflection of a part of ourselves that we haven't yet seen and given love to. And so it becomes so much easier to create distance between ourselves and that person rather than to sit in the stillness and get to know who we really are. Right. And, and you know, like we historically, we come from tribal realities. Every people group comes from tribal realities. When you've got beef, where do you go? Mm -hmm. You can't just go like, well, I'm joining another tribe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, uh, well, you can't. <laughs> it doesn't go like that. <laughs> but now we've got to like, I'll pick and choose. And now there's benefits of that because it allows people to escape certain spaces that are really harmful. That's um, it. Which is great. But the mm -hmm. other problem of that is that's also a result in, in, in a profound unfaithfulness to relationships. Mm -hmm. just even at a friendship level right mm -hmm. like there is a deep sense of like if there is something or someone better you better know that i'm gonna i'm gonna take it mm. <laughs> it's it's like we're conditioned to consume mm -hmm. and, I, and like i listened to someone say the other day i was actually i was talking to a friend and they'd met with a group of people for years and years and years and years and i said bro are you still meeting with them no, I just felt like I'd done all the growing that I could. And I just thought, what a shame. What a shame that your viewpoint of these people that you've shared thousands of hours with was, mm. and when they stop giving me something that I want, I'm done with them. Like, mm. like a can of Coke or something that you finish and you throw in the bin. Mm. And so instead of like faithfulness to people, what we actually end up with is faithfulness to ideas. 
Mm-hmm. And as soon as though we disagree with ideas or as soon as we outgrow ideas, we need to find the next idea that kind of promotes something. Mm. And and my my belief around all of that is like, no, it's we have a faithfulness to Totato Atua, to God, we have a faithfulness to one another, and we have a faithfulness to land and the old mm. story that's beneath our feet. And that faithfulness creates chains that are the right kind of chains. Mm-hmm. because they chain us to um, the opportunity to become a better self, mm-hmm. a more f- fuller, alive self, not a different self, but a more alive self. And, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about that before. We all love the, I was this and now I'm that. And like, you know, you're never going to not be who you are. You are always going to, you will always be Gemma. No matter what you do, you will always be that. And, you know, the journey that you take either leads you to human flourishing or the opposite, right? And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is so fascinating. I've been um, doing a lot of study around internal family systems. I'm not sure if you're mm. familiar with it. It's a psychotherapy um, tool and essentially speaks into the fact that we are made up of many parts and that dependent on our environment, some of those parts will be turned up or turned down. Some mm. of those parts have a manager that protects right. that part. Some parts have been exiled and actually mm. sit in the dark and the subconscious and um, will rear their head during mm. times of chronic stress. Mm. And the invitation with this work is to create greater harmony with all of the parts that make right. you, you by bringing them forward in a safe way to hear what it is that they have to say, how old they are, mm. the learnings, the gifts that they carry to then invite some integration. And so when you talk about, you know, I'm always going to be Gemma, what I'm noticing in my journey with this work of relating to others and relating to myself is that as parts mature and as I make sense of the story, the age, the, the meaning, the beliefs that these parts have made up about myself and about the world, that it's almost like there is a switch in the operating room of who's running the ship. Right, yeah. And that, that then invites a reintroduction for me with myself about how I choose to show up in the world, Mm. but then how I choose to relate and show up with others, because Mm. perhaps the part that was running the system before was five years old Mm. and believed that everybody leaves and the world is unsafe. Mm. So I'm curious, I'm curious to hear your views on this and how we make sense of our evolution in those relationships when perhaps the way we had been relating to others had been not healthy. Right. And how we, how we bring all of ourselves as we grow to those relationships, to the land, to the communities that we're a part Mm. of. Right. So uh, that's awesome, Gemma. Like I think, you know, becoming at peace with the many parts of us and the things that have formed us are like, is the very reason why AA has been successful, mm-hmm. right? Because it's asking people to just become completely honest with themselves mm-hmm. and go, this is 
who I am awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I am a really good leader and I am also whatever A, B, C, and E that could be, right? Mm-hmm. I am also have tendency to get tired and become grumpy and hypercritical or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. coming at peace with and trying to own the all of us. And mm-hmm. that's really important. And one of the things that I I think we've sold, particularly people in their 20s, like this lie, which is that you're going to be able to figure that out. Like you thinking that you're going to know yourself the most between like 18 to 30 is like one of the biggest, <laughs> most hilarious things in the whole world. You know, one, oh my God. One, one Catholic priest, he said, um, you know, someone in their 20s can read all they want about the soul, but they don't understand the soul until their soul breaks. Mm. And, um, and, and it was like a, just a really cool like picture for me of like, that is so much of it. Like we have these ideals and this is who I am. This is who I think I am mm. until we actually, I'm not talking about suffering and things that we've experienced outside of ourselves. I'm talking about that. I'm on my knees with, at the wits end of myself. I am, I am in despair about the shadow of myself. Mm-hmm. I am struggling to see the good in myself. Mm-hmm. This, that those spaces they either lead into a deep depression that is dangerous mm-hmm. or they lead to a depression, which leads to community, which mm-hmm. leads to levels of healing, which leads to levels of hope. Mm-hmm. And then uh, from out of that, that honest telling of that story, it becomes so much different because again, like I said, the way we frame our identity is around wants and desires, mm-hmm. but I think we've got all of our wants and desires really wrong. Um, so they're quite surface level things and immediate needs versus the need for safety, mm-hmm. the need for community, the need mm-hmm. to belong, to feel loved, you know, some of those types of things. And so our, our true self is often like this really confrontational, if the world kind of attitude. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, who are you fighting? Who am I fighting in this? Like, just <laughs> it's just me and my imagination about what everyone else is saying. Stuff you guys. I don't care what anyone thinks. <laughs> it's like... Right, no one, no one said anything. Just breathe. <laughs> like, and, and the ownership of our shadow is the ownership of our insecurity, the ownership of our mm. brokenness, the ownership of. And, and and honestly, whether you've had an amazing childhood like me, or whether you've had a really traumatic one, you will be broken, some mm. way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. God will allow you to be broken, mm-hmm. because there's just not a lot He can do with you and your ideals. He can love you. He mm-hmm. can put things around you. He can create mm-hmm. pockets of safety. But mm-hmm. there's not a lot that can be done with you until you're broken enough to accept a humble place in the world, that you are not the be-all and end-all, mm-hmm. that you are not the turning point for thousands of people, mm-hmm. that your vision for yourself will probably be the most profoundly powerful thing and how that bleeds into other people. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a deep vision for yourself, then you've got uh, this way of being, which is like, it's not all about what we do. Mm-hmm. It's about who we're becoming, you know? And I, I find that way more compelling than there, there is no cause that is like, and there's just no cause that's enough. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that for me is why I have this deep faith because I believe that Ihu 
leads me to that end game of going, mm. I created a way for you, which mm-hmm. is costly, which actually society will really disagree with for a long period of time as well. Mm. And um, it's not going to make you cool. It's going to mean that you're going to have to say no to a whole lot of different things and a whole lot of different, like, and even just in small ways, like if I want to watch Netflix every night and just do nothing, but I can't, if that's, if, if I want to be who I want to be. Mm-hmm. So I, so I have to turn Netflix off and I have to pick the book up. I have to, I have to read the emotionally healthy leader and I have to look at other different things that are going to form me and, and shape my imagination. Mm. Um, I have to learn to say no and accept my limitations that I'm always being formed. It's just a matter of by what. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so many things are going on for me. This is so good. This so yeah. Okay, I feel like I want to explore how you craft that vision in right. collaboration yeah, with good. the framework yeah. that has been given in the ancient texts. Right. I'm also curious about. Um, how we meet our fragility, how we meet our brokenness in the context of what you've been speaking into. Yep. Because I feel like too, like my experience growing up in church and doing missions trips overseas and being heavily indoctrinated within religion was an aftermath, this, this felt sense of just, I'm innately a bad person. There's nothing I could ever do that would make me good. And I am just forever this way. And I feel like this purity consciousness of like right. the, the, the way of being that is so pure had me create these stories up about being a people pleaser, always doing mm. good deeds and, all this stuff. And I feel like what you've just spoken into has totally let that just float away and live, laugh, love in the archives. And Mm. I am stepping into this new knowing about my brokenness as this essential part of being able to step into the calling that I have on my life as well as embody who it is that I'm becoming for that to be realized. Right. Not just for me, but for my son, for my community, for Mm. my clients. Uh, And that's really profound. Hmm. Like I really, I I nearly swore. I'm like, that's how (laughs) I know I've hit the, I've hit the place of realness, like a new felt truth. So thank you, honoring you for that. And then to the vision, can we talk into the vision and to the, um, yeah, let's start there. Let's start there. Around the vision? Yeah. How to craft a vision. Yeah, great. As well as how to have a framework around what it is that we're going to embody in the pursuit of that vision. Yeah. So I I, I think one of the, the, the first things to do is write it down or say it out loud but go, I have been deeply formed by a Western popular culture, secular vision of humanity, mm-hmm. which is prim- pr- profoundly ahistorical. And so it's kind of going, there's a lot of stuff that's already speaking. And, you mm-hmm. know, even in terms of like that, that so many people have that experience in church, like I'm, I'm really bad and all of these things. But actually what the invitation 
for for Jesus was was come be with me. Let me show you how much I love you, and let me show you how much I think about you, and let me start helping you imagine who I think you could be. And in the process of that, like the natural part of that transition is to become somewhat aware of and at times dismayed by like the mess Mm -hmm. like our mess and go like oh man the more I'm with you the more I feel loved and accepted by you but the the more I feel loved and accepted by you the less I want to accept the destructive parts of my life Mm. which is really important and so often what we've done Mm. in faith is we've gone be like Jesus Mm. you know or and or just remove Jesus's name if that's confident if that's annoying to you Mm -hmm. like you know of going like be this, be this vision. And it's Mm -hmm. like, we've got to come back to this framework of who are we being with? Because often like um, what we are looking for or what we are chasing after are usually the gifts that are really impressive. Um, The charismatic, the activist, the whatever it is, that's Mm -hmm. usually what we're chasing, which is understandable Mm. because it's attractive. Mm. But one of the things that we must chase is people that embody and live in their marriages and their relationships and their lives, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, and self-control. That's what, that's the measurement of going, what am I looking for? So Mm. in terms of getting a vision for humanity, I often go, who's at a place that I admire? And often it'll be like, you'll have to accept some humble pie because a lot of those people won't be people that you admire on social media. Mm-hmm. They won't even be people that are doing great things. And often even like so many of our politicians, man, I admire them, their work ethic and all of those things. And and so many of us are like going hard for specific people. But the honest truth is that we have no idea what they're like to mm-hmm. their kids. We don't know what they're like to their partners. We don't know mm-hmm. what they're like to the community around them. And mm-hmm. so we create idols again out of ideologies and out of stages Without, without any kind of idea of like the kind of life that they're embodying and that's that to me is like a real big one of going like start taking note mm-hmm. of of the people that embody the things that are really special to you yeah not not just the things that are not just the people that have lived a journey like the same kind of journey as you and are further ahead but maybe even people that are way on the other end of a spectrum to you Mm-hmm. But but you just notice that man, I love the way that they do relationship with their yes. with their husband or their wife. Yes, I, I'm going to meet with them. And I'm going to ask them questions. Mm-hmm. The other thing is when we find people that embody those things, then we invite them to tell us the honest truth about what they see and to ask questions about. And we give power over to someone else to investigate our lives with us mm-hmm. to help go like. You know, the psalmist, one of the writers in the ancient text, he said, search my heart. And we hate this because we're anti-institutional and anti-authoritarian. So don't you dare tell me what to do because I'm going to figure that out. Well, I go, I'm so grateful that I've had people tell me what to do at different points in my life. Oh, yeah. Because I've needed that so much. So bad. I need need those limitations. I don't want to figure it out by myself. Like, yeah. That hyper, I'm just not good enough mm. in any part of my life to be able to do that. Oh, I love this. Yeah. And so it's the invitation of going like, we often go, yeah, community, community, community. I'm like, okay, well, how many people actually know you? 
Mm. And are they the people that you celebrate in your community? Often it's like our family and we don't really want our family talking about who we are to the community that we claim to be part of because there's too much shadow in that. Um, <laughs> and so we end up with these quite inauthentic relationships. Yeah. And what they're based on is fluff, really, mm-hmm. upon like being good with one another as soon as that goes. So coming mm. back to the vision for yourself, Finding the people that embody those deeper values, the, again, the peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Mm-hmm. Like there's people that have done amazing things, but I also look at them and I go, but the fruit of your life, like what's the aftermath? Not just like they did mm-hmm. a really good thing, but what's mm-hmm. behind them? What's the That's trail? That's like, and, and I think as soon as we start doing that, we're going to actually start looking at things really differently mm-hmm. because then we're going then we're going, it matters more about who you are than what you do. And, mm-hmm. and and I might not even agree with some of your values, but I can't disagree with some of the fruit, which, mm-hmm. is, you know, the fruit mm-hmm. is kind of like the, it's the ultimate crusher of any argument because it's like the consequence of their, of their values either leads to flourishing or diminishing. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's really confronting for us if we're like, well, I don't agree with that value or that idea. But then we see the, the the consequences, the outcome of that is human flourishing. Mm. So then we're left going like, um, well, <laughs> trying to make it add up. <laughs> well, I can't be wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's no, that. I've done enough growing here. I think I'm going to move on. <laughs> yeah, right. That's that, which would be a classic individualist stance, right? Like, I'm yeah. good. You do you. I'll do me. We'll all be one profoundly unhappy not real family (laughs) (laughs) yeah so so good so when it comes to the ancient text there's a thing that saint benedictine he came up with called a rule of life Mm -hmm. and rule of life it kind of means a trellis but it was basically looking at the idea that for um human flourishing to be real there were like these categories of things that had to be reflected in your schedule your schedule is the greatest indicator of what you value, not what yep. you say, nothing else. Your schedule yep. tells the, all the story that anyone needs to know. So if you want to invite someone into your life, just write down your rhythms and give it to them on a piece of paper and that'll be the truth about you. Mm. Not like what you're hoping to do, but just mm-hmm. where you're at. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as part of this rule of life, there's they've they've got these things, they've looked at the life of Ihu and saw these things about abiding. There was time away from the crowd. There was time of silence. Like, And for us, that looks like, do we turn our phone off at five o'clock and don't turn it on till we get back to work? What's the mm-hmm. first thing that is in our mind in the morning? And what's the last thing before we go to bed? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's our practices of, you know, I in terms of contemplation and silence and, you know, other people call it like meditation and I'm good with that too. But I think meditation for me is so much more powerful when it's not just about like, help me be my true, help me find myself, Mm -hmm. but more like I'm looking for an external power. And in my case, I'm looking at Jesus Mm -hmm. and going, I need you to be involved in my life. Mm -hmm. I'm inviting you. I'm inviting your thoughts over my thoughts. Mm -hmm. And, And often when I sit in silence, I'm just so distracted. I'm like thinking about this rightly. I'm thinking about the arguments that I've had. I'm thinking about the people that I'm annoyed with. Mm. And so it's like, it's like he brings to the surface all of the mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he brings all of that stuff. 
so mm. that he can get beneath it and like you know and often mm. when i'm every time i feel distracted i'll just be like um he kitiana, like you are the, you're the god that sees me mm. and i'll just repeat that stuff and mm-hmm. honestly i found those things just so profoundly life-giving so there's that abiding there's like the hospitality around your table like the mm-hmm. table being measured as like the most primarily powerful transformative place in your life mm-hmm. you know like letting people in feeding them comforting them asking questions about their lives um mm. praying for them whatever it might be whatever is your cup of tea you know mm-hmm. um there's that and then there's things like rest like we don't understand rest as a society but mm-hmm. traditionally <clears throat> in our faith system the sabbath was like in the 10 commandments the mm-hmm. sabbath was the only spiritual discipline in there of going like you must value stopping like you got to stop and mm-hmm. it takes a lot of work to kind of go i'm not going to do jobs around the house i'm not you know whatever it is i'm going to delight i'm going to find things that bring me joy mm-hmm. i'm going to eat good food mm-hmm. i'm going to celebrate with some friends maybe or i'm going to read a book or you know when you've got little kids it becomes more complex you might have like a a, a sabbath box of toys that you give them that they can only play with on that day or, mm, or, or that's what, cool. whatever it mm. might be but it's they actually did studies and they so over in time one of the happiest groups of people was is the seventh day adventists right throughout the world which is really interesting because because they're devoutly religious about the sabbath like you shut down they they do church and then they shut down it's like Mm -hmm. food no nothing with just family time delight yeah and they learn to press pause on the soul and that doesn't really work for us as a society because we're just like go 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 so this practice of sabbath and then there's practices of generosity and anyway, so this rule of life, they mm-hmm. kind of talk about that as being like, how does that then live in your calendar and in your schedule? Mm. And, and, and so for me, I find that really inspiring because I'm, I'm like, that's like a formative way of going, I'm going to be actively formed. Mm-hmm. Like the things that I value are going to be reflected in my calendar. Mm. Like the key relationships that I really love, I'm not just going to say I love them but I'm going to schedule in monthly phone calls. I'm going to schedule in fortnightly dinners or whatever mm. else it is. And even within that, I'm going to schedule in once a month dinner with someone that I don't know very well at all. And that's just going to be part of my rhythm of always making sure that I'm living beyond the comfort of my relationships, mm. you know, just all those types of things. So in terms of getting a vision for yourself, like mm-hmm. it's getting also seeing what are the values that you're hoping to um, live out for and body. Mm-hmm. and how does your calendar then reflect that and who can hold you to account in that mm-hmm. and that, that's probably the biggest challenge for our generation is if you've never lived accountably like if i was to ask this question whoever's listening if i was to ask the question of like the last time you made a, a big decision who did you ask for approval and most, like 99.99999% of people would be like, no one. Mm-hmm. I, I thought about it and I made that call. Mm-hmm. And I just go, man, there's so many, there's so many limitations to that. Mm-hmm. Whereas I would go, if I'm going to make a big decision, yeah, I'd pray about it. Yeah, I'd get a sense of that. But I would probably go to a couple of people that I really admire and go, I'm thinking about this. What do you mm-hmm. think? Because mm-hmm. I value the collected shared wisdom, mm-hmm. believing again that, the only way that I am enough is in my worth. But in regards to 
Matodanga in regards to wisdom and knowledge of myself and flourishing all these things, I need a collection of people to be able to mm. help breathe that life into me. Mm, I love that. I love that so much. Is input in your top strengths? Nah, it's not actually. But I tell you what is in there is belief. And that's uh, kind nice. of one of the things that like when I lock on to things, I'm like, oh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, I can that get that. Sense. Do that, do that. And I, you know, I feel I feel sad, I guess, in the context, particularly in the context of faith. Um, and again, I just I recognize that faith can be a really triggering thing for different people that are listening so Mm -hmm. i understand that we tread carefully in those things but Mm -hmm. i feel somewhat sad that often the vision of faith that's been projected is this sunday centric gathering as opposed to like you are the light of the world like your table in your home the rhythms Mm. that you embody the community that you part of are all commitments to Mm. this human flourishing that's actually going to cause you to get healthier Mm -hmm. it's going to cause you to get kinder Mm. it's that it should cause you to be calmer to become a non-anxious presence in the world Mm -hmm. it should cause you to be more thoughtful and you know and where those things aren't realities you kind of go there's a difference between spiritual formation and like spiritual work ethic which Mm -hmm. is like Spiritual work ethic is I'm going to try really hard and do the right things. Mm -hmm. Spiritual formation is like I'm going to be, um, I'm going to submit myself through a couple of different practices to lose control of my life for the sake of someone greater than I to take control of it. Oh, it's just so liberating. It's just (laughs) like, it's just like, (sighs) yeah, right. That is it. Yeah. A hundred percent. It is. It really is liberating. Like I just feel so on fire about this stuff because I, mm-hmm. as long as it's about what you're going to do, like you're never going to nail what you're going to do. If you don't have like your actions are never going to be nailed without all of these precursor things that need mm-hmm. to go into that. Like, otherwise you live out a real legalistic kind of framework, which is like, if I don't do these things, then I'm bad or I'm this or I suck. Mm-hmm. And actually legalism is honestly at least a really close a brother or sister to that cancel um, mm. kind of relationship. Now, mm. hear me out. Like, I do think there's parts in social justice and, yeah, there's an importance of raising our voice. So I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. knocking that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But if it's all just about what we do, because that's all that society is judging and measuring, mm. uh, then it's just a really, it's a really harsh line there's no mm. grace in that either. It's like you're going to rise or fall according to your words or your public statements, even though the reality is that, you know, you're going to rise or fall according to your private life. Mm. That's going to be the truth. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. This is this is medicine for the soul. This is t- take the meds, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> can, we, can we explore a little bit? around what that emotional maturity and spiritual health right. looks like and sounds like. Right. And we'll see where that goes. Yeah, cool. So look, I would, this has got a different faith perspective, but I would, I want to recommend that. Emotionally okay. Healthy Leader by Pete Scazzaro. He's another guy that led a community for ages and then kind of burnout, broken, this isn't working. 
how do I now live? Mm-hmm. Um, and developed a whole lot of frameworks around that that stuff that's really helpful. But one of the things that emotionally healthy leaders and emotionally healthy spirituality talks about is actually your whakapapa. And they talk about it like the gen- looking at your genogram. So tracing your whakapapa and looking at the earthquake moments mm-hmm. in your history. Yeah. So the big things that have caused like mm-hmm. trauma or celebration, like whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But tracking those things in your whakapapa is also, um, they're the things that lead us to understanding what our tendency could be. Mm-hmm. So knowing that whatever's happened in your, if you've got a, like, example you said in your, um, you know, earlier about having, you know, feeling like people will leave you know, like that undercurrent thought process, yeah. right? Like people are going to leave. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that tendency means that you would also know in yourself that there would also be a tendency of, I want to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like knowing the genogram is part of that. So that's part mm-hmm. of emotional, emotionally healthy leadership of going, mm-hmm. um, and let's just get rid of leadership. This is all about emotional health, mm-hmm. but being emotionally healthy is, is, living in awareness and you can't live in awareness without history, mm-hmm. both in the long term that's before you and also in the short term that directly affects you. Well, all of it directly affects us, but I mean, there's a big scope of history, thousands of years old, which is worth looking at. And mm-hmm. then there's also like the, um, our whakapapa history, which has got those earthquake moments that affect us. And, mm-hmm. and so that's one of the big things is going, what are my tendencies? Again, that's the shadow stuff. And I got restorative and strength finder. So I always lean towards uh, brokenness. Yeah. Um, same. So mm-hmm. within all of that, it is finding like, where, where am I likely to position myself? Like when I feel rejected, what is my tendency? Mm-hmm. Like what if, what has my whakapapa taught me, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't mean just like good, like, but what if people embodied terribly? Mm-hmm. for generations about what to do with like for example i heard a story about a guy who was in a he was in like a, a course that was about emotional health and he would ask these questions but be so long-winded about the questions and the facilitator goes why do you feel like you need to talk for so long when you ask the questions <laughs> it's like real like awkward like in front of a whole bunch of people and he paused and he went because when I was seven, I asked my dad a question, a quick question, and he punched me in the mouth for not being articulate. And so, like, from then on, I felt this need to over-articulate. And, you know, you have these things like that, then unless we're aware of those things, mm-hmm. those things actually create separation in, in mm-hmm. our lives, and they hurt our relationships unless there's, mm. like, a level of awareness. Wow. So emotionally healthy spirituality is around number, like, well, now I won't even add a number, but one of the things is around pace of life. So basically accepting the fact that if you have an intense pace of life, it's not possible for you to live an emotionally healthy spirituality. Mm-hmm. I um, hear you on that. Yeah. yeah. If you're go, 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 no Sabbath, no places of contemplation and silence, no places of reflection, no places of authentic community, function, mm. function, 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 you're guaranteed not going to be healthy and you're guaranteed either in or going to be leading towards burnout of some kind of shape or form. Mm-hmm. So pace of life actually is a large one. There's a great book called the ruthless elimination of hurry by John Mark Comer. 
mm-hmm. which is a really cool book to look at that kind of stuff. Um, but it's basically challenging this idea that, you know, how people often say, oh, I wish there was more time in the day. And it's like, well, actually, we would just find other ways to fill that time. Mm-hmm. Like if you can't manage the, the, the time that you've got in the day mm-hmm. and you can't create priorities around how that time is spent, um, you're going to be really tired. And mm-hmm. so instead of going like my job is my life, I go, I'm deeply committed to the vocational call that I've got. Mm-hmm. And for seven or eight hours or nine hours a day, I'm going to give myself to that, to that vocational call mm-hmm. in every way that I can. And then as soon as that's finished, it's that's done. it. Mm-hmm. And I go home and I remember the other part of my uh, vocational call mm-hmm. to be, um, active and human flourishing, demonstrating peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control in my marriage with my kids, with the relationships that matter to me mm. and all those different things. And now I'm not saying that I'm nailing this by any no. way, shape or form. You're in the trenches. That's You're right. in the trenches with everyone. Yeah. Right. And I, like, you know, some days I'm like, I'm freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. And then other days I'm like, <laughs> I need desperate help. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's real. That's real. That's spiritual formation, right, Mm -hmm. as well, that we're going to feel good about ourselves at different points in time. I'm feeling good about the rhythms that are coming. And then we end up in a conversation where we got overly aggressive or we got defensive or whatever we did. And then we're like, Mm. oh, damn it. Like, Mm. there's more work to be done. But that's That's a a liberating thing. It's how you show up in that as well that matters is it that you're making it mean that you can't do this you're a bad person nothing ever works out or are you making it mean that hey this is an opportunity for me to grow and i'm calling in some support to make that happen yeah 100 percent. and it's you know like we we pull people in um we pull people into that stuff because again, we're aware that we are not going to be able to form healthy enough conclusions on us on our own Mm -hmm. and not just people, but like, man, I've, I've figured some things out about myself and my contemplation time with God. Mm -hmm. Like, man, I've, he's asked some questions of me that I'm like, Oh, Lordy, I do not want to answer that. Mm -hmm. Like some of those, some of those contemplative spaces have been so the most confrontational places of my life, you Mm -hmm. know, of going like, uh, I would rather not engage in that. But mm-hmm. that truth, uh, someone said, Jesus said, the truth will set you free. And someone else said, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Mm-hmm. And I think that's definitely the truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that yeah. when things are true, they're actually really confronting to the non-truth that we mm-hmm. are living, our, the false self that has been mm-hmm. standing in the front and, you know, Operating the ship. Operating the ship, right? Yeah, I get a visceral response. I know the truth, by the way, it feels. That's what a a mentor, in my journey was deepening my connection with what I would call my intuition or source or God is, yeah, know the truth, by the way, it feels as it comes through that channel and it's visceral in the body. It's like I now realize that something that I thought was it is now not it, even though mm. I want that to be the thing. Cause that's really comfortable. Right. My whole body will have a response. 
Right. And that's the indicator. And that's how I've made the the really big, tough decisions mm. in my life over the last probably four years is trusting that visceral response once it comes through of like, okay, something needs to shift in a dramatic way. And I'm in t- integrity with myself when I honor that and do that thing. Yeah, right. And and there, there's a practicing of discernment that goes with that, you know, and there, sometimes that's also part of spiritual giftedness too. Mm-hmm. Some of the ways that we'll interpret or understand truth will, will actually be part of our, our wideness, our DNA and our design. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's these measuring sticks that are helpful with it, like feeling that truth is awesome and then measuring that truth as well of going like, if that's true, where have I seen that embodied, which has caused, you know, either harm or, or help, you mm. know? And, and then also, and again, like doing that with someone else, like doing that with your mentor on that, like is like there are wisdom and the, there's wisdom in the counsel of others. Mm. You know, that's what the ancient text says about that too. You know, there's wisdom in the counsel of others. Mm-hmm. Not everyone. No. But and that others. discernment's key. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and it's actually quite a dangerous place, if I'm honest. You know, like um, I'm part of an industry that's unregulated. Mm. And there are a lot of coaches, healers, facilitators, practitioners, shamans, the list goes on. Right. That, um, you know, uh, you, when you get to a vulnerable place, you want the support, you want some help to get Mm. out of a dark place and we don't necessarily turn to the church anymore yeah that's right this helping industry has Mm. become a go-to and it's an unregulated place it's so important that there is that discernment for people when they're seeking out that help and support what are your qualifications what is your lived experience how do you embody what it is that you're speaking into and teaching? Right. Like having these conversations with someone before you engage them in a service, I think is so important. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. As like, the, you know, the, 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 the whole industry of help, it can be so hit and miss, right? Mm-hmm. Because there are some large embodiment gaps in there. Mm-hmm. And then there's also like, we often turn to different places and spaces because of ideological preferences. Again, mm-hmm. you know, like we believe the same things or similar things. Therefore that's going to be a source of wisdom. Or, mm. And that's just not the case, right? Like we could believe the same things about anything, but that doesn't mean like, you know, like we could like the same food, but if you turn to me and go, you know, we both like Vietnamese food or whatever. Can you tell me about like the depths of, this, I couldn't do that. You know, it would be mm. a mistake to assume the the wisdom and all of that stuff or the knowledge that's going to come with that. And mm. and I think one of the things that, you know, I'm a big, I see a counsellor, um, a spiritual director, all of that stuff. I'm a big mm. av- advocate for it. But finding the right person is half the battle. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it that's is. It's, it's, it's super dangerous. Like, it can be really dangerous to open yourself up. Mm-hmm. And especially because we are a consumer culture. Mm-hmm. So we're viewing so many of these helps as like, how can I consume something and make things right? Whereas like actually the faith journey is like, how can I enter into a relationship with someone else mm. and who's going to collectively help me embody human flourishing mm. and become aware of the stuff that's human diminishing, yes. you know, which is really different. It's like, yeah. not, it's not a, like a, here's some money, do your thing, man, fix me. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, even with some of my work and some of the work that I've engaged in is like 
this perception that this silver bullet eight-week program <laughs> is going to solve 30 years of patterns and conditionings and ways of being. And it's like, really, I feel a sense of responsibility, a sense of responsibility around how what I do is framed mm. as part of a journey. Right. But this is not the silver bullet. Right. That this is going to be part of many things that are going to support you to move into a deeper alignment of what is true in your essence, what yeah. it is that you're here to do, how it is that you're being called to show up. But it's mm. definitely not the silver bullet, but we want right. that. And I can say guilty as charged, right. have bought a program before thinking like <laughs> in six weeks. You and me both. Yeah, and it's not true. And I feel like, you know, our instant gratification culture with Uber Eats and right. just Netflix, everything's so instant. We think it applies in this help industry and it right. doesn't. And, and it doesn't. And this is one of the reasons why fasting is actually real important. If you even just remove some of the spiritual parts of it, but fasting teaches your body that having exactly what it wants is not the best thing for your body at all mm. times, which has huge like soul ramifications, right? Because mm. it's like teaching yourself that what we want at every turn is actually not health for us is right, really significant. And so, mm. you know, these quick fixes or silver bullets. I mean, I see that with, you know, like reconciliation stuff around Tao Māori and like um, non-Māori, primarily Pākehā that cause injury and have caused injury and continue to cause injury. Mm. Um, is like because there's not a posture of reconciliation, which is an eternal posture. Mm. Um, it's like we just want moments, right? Mm. Right. So let's have a. We'll, we'll be really have a really apologetic day. We'll have an apology day. Mm. We'll um, we'll make a couple of announcements here and there. We'll do these little things, but when it's posture, it's like all of life. Mm. How am I continually leaning into reconciliation every day? As a and, way of being. Right. And that could take you your whole life. And the only way that you'd actually be able to say that you embodied that is if you lived close enough to people who were able to call you out on stuff as well. Mm. And, and it's the same thing, right, with all of our life. If we don't live close enough for people to touch, feel, know us, mm. like we're going to be left with moments thinking that they're going to fix things. I had a really amazing counseling session, silver bullet. Nah, not no, silver no. bullet, but potentially a really helpful moment. Boom. But it's like they're really different things eh, of going like, again, what's the vision for yourself? Who are you when you're 80? Mm. Like, tell me about yourself when you're 80. What kind mm. of person are you? What kind of friend are you? What kind of presence are you in mm. the spaces that you're in? And run away from what society is telling as a whole around like what, what a good person is. Because mm -hmm. I just... Again, I just think it's chronological snobbery. I don't, I don't yeah. trust like mm -hmm. fifty years worth of philosophy or whatever to, mm -hmm. to or even two hundred years worth of philosophy to be all of a sudden now the absolute truth on what good is. Mm. And you know, I've gone like, oh man, I, I want to be a non-anxious presence. I want to be someone that yeah. if I get hurt or upset, that I am confronting that hurt and that feeling. You know either in myself and with, and with someone that I trust or with that person and going, mm -hmm. hey, this has hurt me. Let's get back to right relationship. And mm -hmm. like I see that mm -hmm. all the time. I see people that I think you are freaking incredible. Like the things that you are doing are remarkable. Mm -hmm. And yet your life is a candle that is burning out mm -hmm. because you don't operate in any forms of emotional health. Mm -hmm. And so the gift to the world that you are 
is mm. going to be profoundly limited because scandal will follow you Boom. because you don't have emotionally healthy practices. Yeah, I hear you. And I feel like I kind of want to mention just a little bit of my journey because I feel like yeah, you just cool. keep speaking to it. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, go. Please I can go. just hear, I can just hear the soft, gentle whisper. Awesome. <laughs> and speak your truth. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, so for me, spending five or six years working in a space of organizing for social change, mm. over over those five, six years, we we brought to life 12 different community community-led projects Amazing. spanning research, um, political advocacy. Uh, we did some campaigning around mental health and addiction volunteering, leadership development, um, soft skill development. It was huge, oh, as well as building a institution, an entity, an organization that right. would be able to be the backbone to drive this beyond anyone's time there. Mm. We raised more than a million dollars for those projects and uh, reached hundreds of thousands of people through wow. the digital campaigns and thousands of people in person. Mm. and it was a remarkable journey like mm. I learned so much and met some of the coolest people ever mm. that I now call awesome friends and mm. um, I know that the impact and hearing the stories of change of what it really meant to be part of this was transformational mm. in particular for young people that had come here totally. from other countries or who were part of the mental health community, um, or those young guns who had never seen themselves as a leader, never seen their gifts and being mm. able to powerfully claim them and be part of something bigger. Mm. And I feel incredibly proud of the work that was done there. As you should. And, and the internal cost without a level of emotional uh, maturity and spiritual health, the cost, and there's a few people close to me that would have seen it, but it was, it, it destroyed my soul. And wow. it got to a point where I had no capacity for the things that I loved anymore. And found that for me, the hardest part of it was the integrity at home mm. for me that's great to go and do all that stuff mm. if you have integrity at home if what you embody and show up with as for externally is the match at home keep going mm. for me it got to a point where i was like if i'm being really honest with myself here my son and mm. my partner get my leftover bits mm. and i am beneath those two and so there was an invitation and an initiation into deeper levels of self-leadership wow. to really sit with what the hell is going on mm. where we go and do that out there and at, at home and with ourselves, we are in a place of destruction. Right. And it has been a journey over the wow. last two years to really come back into connection with what has been simmering beneath the surface for years which is my childhood trauma right which is life traumas which is the traumas that have been passed down across generations mm. 
which has been being a highly sensitive person with no skills, tools, or resources to yeah. manage what it is that I am and how I feel and perceive and sense and engage in the world. Yeah, wow. And so what's taken place over the last couple of years has been a devotion to stillness, to sit mm. and be awesome. with all that has been simmering beneath the surface, naming it and going on a healing journey to really be able to process not just the beliefs and the stories, but also the emotional charge that sits within my body and sat within my body and allowing that to be released through breath work. Wow. And where I find myself now is still on that healing journey, right. but able to show up in a way in the external that is the same to what I am with my son at home. Mm. And that, and I don't always get it right. And I'm I'm in the trenches. Yeah, and yeah, right. I'm not going to lie this morning. I was just like, Malachi, please, my darling, here is YouTube for 10 minutes. So I'm going to go and ground on the earth. <laughs> because, <laughs> because it's going to be lifelong. But for me, that's what this season of leadership has called. It has called for me to be integrity at home with what it is and how I be in, in my calling and how I show up. Right. And so I just wanted to speak into that. I wanted to be so real because I feel like you have just spoken into so much that has been alive for me. Yeah, And that's I amazing. share this in, in speaking truth into that experience because I know people have a perception of that. Right. And I feel like it's it's part of my journey to speak to the shadow and the light of what it is that has been part of my calling so far. That's amazing. I, I that, that even that you had enough courage to kind of walk away is like a, a whole nother thing as well of going like, you know, because the workspace can become our place of like pride because it's mm -hmm. like, well, I feel good about who I am here. Mm -hmm. Um, well, it's but, my identity. Yeah, right. And honestly, Jim, my, my own story is super similar to that. Uh, the last album that we released, the weeks before I'm pushing around sound gear, just crying, like at the mm. end of myself going, I don't even care. Like mm -hmm. this, all of this has cost too much. And, mm -hmm. and look, I think there's a level of, um, of kindness that is required as well, because I think mm -hmm. every leader struggles with imposter syndrome. <laughs> like I project this. And I'm doing my absolute best to be totally integrous to that in every part of my life. Mm -hmm. However, what I think is the bigger value is trajectory of going like, if you've positioned yourself and you've positioned other people and got certain practices in your life that are helping you become less dualistic and more like, and like the same everywhere mm. you go. Um, then I think that's more important than like dealing the harsh blow of hypocrisy, which we often give to ourselves because all mm. of us are hypocrites. If you measure it really, really finely, like, mm. you know, the, the us that we project on Facebook and all these different spaces um, is never the full real self that people experience that our families would indicate. And often our families get the mess of us because they're the only ones that we're sure won't leave us, mm. you know, so we can be our yuck self and mm. figure that out and you know that's definitely even been it's been a journey for me as a church leader and mm -hmm. even realizing i mean i'm just as broken as anyone else and mm -hmm. at times my wife and my children would would say the same thing about like getting the last bits and about grumpiness and all these things that 
I'm projecting that I embody and then having these spaces and times where that's not the reality. Mm. And, and then that's where the community comes in because the mm. people that you trust are going, hey, bro, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm noticing this. And, and yeah. not only that, but I, I practice, I have a high value for confession. So mm-hmm. like I don't, there, I don't live with any secrets in my life. There are none. Mm. So there, like the, I have people that I regularly confess things to and mm-hmm. whether that's what I've been like with my wife, with kids or with workplace or whatever it is, just a high Bring value. Bring it to the light. Stuff. Yeah, totally. Mm, wow. And, and so like I deeply understand um, that burnout, this cost too much type situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, like, that need of to recognize how our brokenness is dictating the terms. And I think that's the opportunity of brokenness. And we often say things like in society, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I just, that's just total lie. What Mm -hmm. doesn't kill you just really destroys your life. If you don't do the things that you need to do, put yourself in the, with the right people and place yourself at the feet of a higher power. Mm -hmm. Um, who I believe is Jesus to mm-hmm. actually bring resurrection and healing to us. Um, mm. And so one way or another, everyone's going to face that, mm-hmm. especially if you're a leader, I think everyone faces that this costs, this costs too much mm-hmm. type situation, that kind of revelation. Um, mm-hmm. And when we get to that point, I think that's like the life's out of kilt. Mm. Like I'm at, I'm at things are out of balance. The practices the things that are meant to keep, hold me to account are not there. I yeah, need, I need to reevaluate and I need other people to help me reevaluate because I've got myself into this mess. The mistake yeah. would be that I have enough knowledge to get myself Boom. out. Yeah, right? and that's the humility. <laughs> right. Yeah, I can really hear what you're saying too. I know I just, you know, speaking into that work of that self-healing and, um, you know, reconciling the stuff from the past, but it, there's two things there as well that you're speaking into, which is your rituals and your rhythms. Right. It's like in those places of polarity is an opportunity to look at, okay, well, what are those rituals and rhythms that are going to bring me back into greater harmony of what it is that I Mm. know that is possible for me? And what does that community piece look like and sound like? And I think as you've been talking, the other thing I realized was that I didn't let people in I really didn't let people in. There was two or three people that Mm. got let in. But now there has been a softening through doing that work from the past, the traumas, the whatever, all the beliefs we had. I didn't realize that I had a core belief that just people are unsafe. Yeah, right. And that came from being around unsafe people, Mm. but not all people are unsafe. Mm. When I can create safety within myself and I know what safe looks like and sounds like, I can relate in a different way. Right. And so being able to bring in that community around with the rituals and the rhythms, doing the self-healing, and then coming back into devotion and the stillness of what what are you really calling me into? What is what is it that I'm here to do? How can I be of service? And I let go mm. of the fact that I've got any idea. Yeah, right. I've got no clue. Yeah. And if I can continue with those rituals and those rhythms, I'm going to stay in relation to what it is that moves through me, which isn't. 100%. It's not me. It's not that's me. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's a great articulation. The ritual and the rhythm are the connective tissue to the vision that mm-hmm. um that god has for our lives mm-hmm. actually which is 
mm-hmm. a far greater vision than we have for our lives. Mm-hmm. Because, like, when you think about, if I think about the life of Jesus, he got crucified for embodying, like, these values of peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. They were so contradictory to the empire that the empire had to like crush and destroy it. Mm-hmm. But like, if we were to have a vision for ourselves, if we're honest, <clears throat> we'd probably very rarely talk about who we want to be. We'd probably more often talk about like, I want to have traveled. I want to have had, you know, that whole live, like live, laugh, love type thing, which is such a load of crap. You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> it comes up nearly every episode I've recorded so far. It's awesome. so good. That's, um, and because it's 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 an American indoctrination of like the pursuit of happiness, right? Mm. That the sole task that is to pursue happiness and have everything that your heart desires, be mm. what you want to be, and go where you want to go. It's like the ultimate radical secular vision of humanity, which is like mm. radically individualistic, mm-hmm. um, deeply unaccountable, and operates out of chronological snobbery to like the nth degree. And so, like we we're, we're kind of going like, well, actually, we have a belief that. Um, through up through other people, through ancient texts, through whakapapa and stories, through land, through totato mm. kaihanga, through God, um, we can get a renewed vision that's different. That's mm. like, you know what? You're going to be a person that embodies kindness when people are not kind to you. And I just think that's actually just so radical. It's a radical thought mm-hmm. because you kind of go like, oh, yeah, that sounds nice. Like we talk about love like we have any concept of love. Mm. You know, society throws it around. I just want to, you know, love means this or love means that. I'm like, you don't know what it means if that's what you think it is. Like, and one, because you don't know how, you don't know how to position yourself to be loved. So that's Mm. the first thing, Mm. you know. And, you know, even in your situation, like you talk about unsafe people, learning to be loved is so, it's like the, it's a really deeply difficult thing when Mm. you've had that people are unsafe. But a lot of our formative love comes from people, eh? you know, it's like, Mm. and people don't often do the hard work that you do. Um, don't put themselves in the conversations, put themselves in the settings. So then they just project this idea of love, which is actually really detrimental. And I just think some of these concepts, these concepts of peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, loving your enemy, all of those types of things are so much more radical than we give them credit for. Mm -hmm. Because if we were to honestly ask ourselves, do we embody any of those things? Mm. That embodiment question is it, (laughs) eh? Uh, that's where it shifts. I think it's like, oh, those are like faraway concepts that sound nice. It right. becomes tangible when you ask yourself, well, what does that look like and sound like for me? Right. And where's my reference point of what this has looked like and sound like, mm. sounded like? And is there another way? Right. Getting curious about it. I think there is. I think that mm. is a beautiful framework to call in more of that type of love. And I feel like I've come full circle on this journey with the church and religion and God and Jesus and all this stuff through what you're speaking into. Mm. It is so much more real. It's that visceral response of truth. And I just want to honor you for your journey with this work because at night you choose to pick up the emotionally healthy leader rather than watch the Netflix. Right. And it would be really nice because there's some great new releases. Right. And instead (laughs) you choose to pick up the book. And I just want to honor you for your journey. I mean, 
you're a millennial with this wealth of wisdom and that has come from your self-leadership and the community around you and what's been invested into you and yeah I just want to say thank you so much for opening up your heart opening up your mind and being so generous with the wisdom that you carry and I know for people listening that this would have been an episode that was triggering at times yeah good and I just want to invite a curiosity into that trigger to mm. spend some time perhaps with a journal mm. and a pen so good. and just notice what was triggering about that conversation what do I believe to be true about what is being said and is there something else that I might be missing here and it's not to say that everything that has been spoken into this episode is true and right for everyone it's just an invitation for curiosity. So mm. before we wrap up this episode, is there anything else, Aaron, that you want to speak into that you feel called to speak into? Um, look, I, I would just say, Gemma, thanks heaps for, you know, the opportunity just to share. And, you know, I, I think you're courageously vulnerable in the in the sharing of your own story. And, it gives a whole lot more teeth to the stuff that you're talking about because of that. Um, I, look, I, I think we need to reevaluate what integrity means and, and what we believe is good and right. Mm. Um, because if, if all we equate to human flourishing is ideological agreeance, then we're actually just po positioning ourselves for war. Mm. and um conflict and you know i mean you just look on facebook that's the evidence it's just one mm -hmm. giant war mm -hmm. and so my my big challenge to everyone is again who can help you get a vision for who you actually want to become not the mm -hmm. knowledge you want to acquire not the wisdom that you want to have none of that like but who can help you get a better vision for for who you could be and mm -hmm. chase them look at your schedule it'll tell you the truth about your life and mm. um the sooner you do that the sooner you will be able to position yourself and put yourself in settings to actually understand what it means to be loved not for what you do mm. um, but for who you are and to be honest we don't really operate like that in society we generally mm. operate we are loved for all the gifts that we bring to the world mm. not for the people that we are both our shadow and our light and mm. um Here's an invitation to be loved for all of you. And I, I want to invite you into that. Oh, I feel like we need to end with a prayer. Would you like to speak life into the end of this episode? Yeah, sure. Uh, for every person that feels deeply alone, that feels publicly loud and expressive and alive and yet deeply alone mm. would your grace cover them or would your kindness wash over them would your love which transcends a a multitude of sin which covers it and washes over it and moves through it would it just sit over over the top of people with the lies that uh, people have believed about themselves start to be confronted the lies of that have contained messages of self-hatred and anger and the, the belief about humanity and all sorts of things 
the curses that people have spoken over themselves over and over again, would they be broken to the ground? Um, Lord, Lord, your desire for people is that they would find life and life to the full. And then we long for it. We, we don't want to accept this half-baked um, vision of society, which is destroying us and we can see it, but we don't know what to do about it. But you have known what to do about it since the beginning of the world. And so uh, we just look to you again. Kia orangia koe te ariki, kia tawharautia, kia whitia koe tāna matāho, kia tawhaitia, kia tau te rangimāri e, tau mai te mauri, haumi e, hui e, tāi ki e. Thank you. Kia ora. Kia ora, thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for tuning into this episode. I will see you next time. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I want to invite you to stop what you're doing right now and really reflect on what's landed for you in this episode. What was your aha moment? Write that down and turn it into an actionable goal for you to shift your reality. Inspiration without action leaves you where you were before this episode. So gift yourself this moment for change. If you've enjoyed the episode, please review the podcast. It really helps us grow the reach. Hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. And if you have a topic you'd like to hear more about, please slide into my DMs on Instagram at the underscore Gemma underscore Rose. See you next time. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.